You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Got a new series we're starting today called Tis the Season of Giving. No, I'm good. I'm trying to get you to have fun. Because giving is fun. How many people enjoy giving? Put your hands back up again. I want to see this. Look at that. Look at this. You are a church that loves to give. How many believe that giving is fun? Now, let me ask you this. Anybody, you could shout this out. This is crowd participation here. What was the greatest gift you ever gave? Let's shout some things out. Your heart. Oh, okay. That was so sweet. Is your wife even here to hear that? She's sick, but that's all right. We'll make sure she watches that. Come on, in the last church, in the last, what's that? Disney, a trip to Disney. That's a great, that was a great trip. Family reunion. Come on, Mama Sheila, there you go. How about a car? Anybody get one of those cars with a bow on it? Huh? Somebody in this room did. They talked about it in the first service. Somebody gave someone a house. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The reality is, is giving is fun. Receiving is fun, but the reaction to giving is what it's all about, right? How many of you as parents have given your kids something? Like literally, you had to fight through. Like remember Cabbage Patch Dolls back in the day? There's always uh, Tickle Me Elmo. What, what are some of these things? Every year there's one of those hard to find things, right? Parents, we battle through lines. Back in the day we had to use, back in the day in my days, we had to line up outside the door and r- wait to run over everybody. Now you just do it online. But how many parents have given your kids something, like you were so excited, you put it behind all the other presents because you knew it was the last one, it was the greatest one, and they rip it open and there is no emotion on their face. (laughs) You're like, son of a gun, man, all that work. And then like Aunt Betty, out of town, doesn't even know your kids, buys them something, and they're like flipping out on it, like this is amazing, playing with it for three weeks, crying when it gets broken. And meanwhile, your gift is in the corner, nobody cares. See, it's all about the reaction to the giving. It's all about the reaction, right? How we react to giving is important. Did you know that giving is not a Christmas thing, it's a kingdom thing? So I know we're all getting stressed out about what we gotta buy, but did you know that kingdom is all about giving? Second Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. He says, But as you abound in everything, he says, I want you to abound. That means I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow in the way you talk. I want you to grow in your knowledge, in your diligence. I want you to grow in your love. And on the same level, he says, I want you to grow in all of this, but see that you abound in this grace also. What is the grace? If you read before it, he's talking about generosity. He puts giving and generosity on the same level as faith and love. This is how I know how important giving is because I've seen it unlock things in people's lives. In fact, this year, first time in the history of Southview, we're going to do something we've never done before. On December 18th, the last Sunday that we gather together, we are going to take up, we're going to call this the big give the big give. We're going to take up an offering and whatever we receive, and my prayer is over the next three weeks, we, God begins to move on your heart. We're going to receive whatever we receive. We're going to give to our local community. We're going to find a place to give generously, extravagantly. We're going to give big as a church. Why? Because in this season, when everybody's trying to take, we're going to give. We're going to end the year by giving away, not giving to something to south you, not giving to something we want to do. We're just going to give and bless our city. 
Because kingdom, thank you, giving is a kingdom thing. Christmas is a reminder to give. John 3, 16, we know this by heart. For God so loved the world that he what? Let's pause for a moment. His love was so great for you and me that the only thing he could do is give. That was his natural response. I love you so much, humanity, that I'm gonna give you a price, something that is worth more to me. I'm gonna give you myself. He gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. Number one, I want you to write this down. We give because he first gave. Our response to his giving is to give back. That's what it is. God, you've given me so much, I can only, my response is not to hoard it, but to give it. And again, it's all about responses, how you respond to the generosity of God. Let me just say this for a moment, because I have 10 kids, and I can't imagine, I thought about this week, giving one of my kids to a group of people that would disrespect them, hunt them down, and murder them. Knowing full well, that was the end result. I'm giving you my my son, I'm giving you my daughter, I'm giving you my child, and you will disrespect them, hunt them down, murder them, hang them on a tree, and, and, and this is all because I love you. That's the Christmas story. I know we could talk about Mary and Joseph, and rightfully so, but the reality is it all started with God's love for you, so much so that he moved heaven and earth to send his son to die for us. He came as a baby in a manger. The lowliest babies are helpless. I know, I've, been, I've studied them. I know about them. They're helpless. They can't do any, gee, listen to this. The creator that was there when the world was created came as a helpless baby having to be brought up and taught up by the humanity that he created. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loved me. So what do we do in response? We give. And I'm gonna give you a word that is gonna either excite you or shock you. It's one word. Some of you, it's almost like a curse word. It's that how much, that's how tough it is. It's the word tithe. But I, I'm sitting here today and I'm thinking about this, 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 this time of season that we're getting ready to go in. We're all going to spend money. Hopefully you have it. You shouldn't spend it if you don't have it, but you're going to try something, move heaven and earth to buy that gift. When really the reality is, is if we don't know, understand what kingdom giving is, we'll never really truly operate well on the earth. So I have to, as your pastor, I got to give you insight into something that I believe will unlock you into a whole nother realm, and it's the word tithe. What is tithing? Tithing is giving the 10% of your gross. Now, some of you are shaking your head because you know. I know some of you OGs, you've been in church for a long time. You know tithing is the 10% right off the top. What does that mean? Let's do math. You have $100, you give what? $10. There you go. If you have $1,000, how much do you give? Oh, if you have $10,000, how much do you give? There you go. It's easy, simple. It's the hardest thing to do. 10%. Do you realize that if I gave you 10% of a pizza, I wouldn't miss it? Think about this. 10%. 10% of your hair. Now, depending on how much hair you have left. <laughs> Some people are like, that's a tough gift. God's coming for it whether you like it or not. <laughs> He's came for it. 10%. Let me give you some stats. It says, when surveyed, listen to this, 17% of Americans state that they regularly tithe. 
The average donation by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is about $17 a week. See, the reality is, is we have no problem taking. We have a problem to give. How important is the area of tithing to God? You want to hear this? 500 verses on prayer and faith. We talk about prayer and faith all the time. You know how many verses there are on money and possessions? 2,000. 2,000 verses about money and possessions. Why? Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, we could talk about a lot of things about the Lord, but we don't talk about giving. We're missing it. We're missing the kingdom. See, God wants your treasure because he wants your heart. And the reality is, is there people in this room right now that are squirming because you're like, oh, here comes that message. <laughs> but God's like, no, it's not about what he's preaching. It's about what's here. I want all of you. We sang the song. I'll give you all, you know, all my worship, you know, but we won't give tithe. I won't give you 10 of my money. Yep. Because we think like that's a lot. Number one, we give because he first gave. Number two, we give because we know it's important for every believer to give. Some more stats. Total Christian income in the United States is $5.2 trillion annually. This is how much Christians have coming in in the United States. $5.2 trillion annually. Nearly half of the world's total Christian income. America has more than half, nearly half, of the world's Christian income. If Christians followed the Old Testament standard of giving across the board, then $139 billion would become available every year for additional ministry work. $139 billion could be used by the Lord if we would just tithe. People are more likely to practice tithing when they begin to practice in their teens or early 20s. For some of you shaking your head, you've been taught, like I was taught by my father, to give 10%. Now, in the beginning, that's easy, right? 10 cents, because <laughs> I got a dollar. <laughs> right? I mean, that's not a big deal, but then you start making money. You're like, whoa. Start looking at that check. Start looking at that send button you're getting ready to send on Squarespace or wherever you give. It's like, what is happening? But this is the interesting thing about it. God knew that we would struggle with this because this is the only place in the Word where God actually says, test me in this. It's the only thing he says. He doesn't say it about faith or love or anything else but giving. He says, test me in this. Test me. He says, come on. Some of you grew up in, in the playground. Somebody said, come on, you want to test me? Come on, we'll go meet outside the playground next to the bikes. We're going to fight after school. God's not like that. He's not looking to fight you. He's just saying, test me in this. See that I will not. Oh, we're going to talk about it. What he will do when you test him in this particular area. See, the tithe is his. We are just stewards of it. Let me give you some, some, some scriptures here. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 27. This is the law, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. Now, there's a loophole. Somebody's going to say, well, Pastor Mark, that's the, that's the law, you know? That's, that's, that's the law. We're, we're not under the law anymore. But let me just say this. That, that, that precept predates the law. Because if you go back to Genesis 14, this is 500 years before the law was even in existence. Abraham gives a tenth to the church, to the, to the, to the priest, Melchizedek. Now, I want to just say to you, I don't know if you know how Abraham was, but Abraham had money. He had wealth. 
So his tenth was a big deal. And he knew that if I give it to the church, I'm doing what the Lord is requesting for me to do. Now you could say, well, Pastor Mark, but it's not in the New Testament. I defer, it's Matthew 23. Jesus says this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He says, for you tithe, you 10%, give 10% of the mint and dill and cumin. You have neglected weightier matters of the law. He says, you, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, look, I know you guys tithe because you know how important it is, but then you forget justice and mercy. It's all of the above. It's just fighting for justice, fighting for mercy, and giving. See, in our culture, fighting for justice, fighting for mercy, and taking everything. 2 Corinthians, Paul says this to the church of Corinth. He says, in this, not as we expected, but they gave. The church gave first to the Lord, that's first, and then by the will of God to us. I want to talk to you about the power of tithing when it comes through the word first and the word fruits. First fruits. Nehemiah 10. You know the story. Some of you know the story. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of Jericho, uh, Jerusalem, sorry. He builds the walls of Jerusalem and he builds it in record time. And one of the things that he does after they build it, they consecrate it. They make a covenant with God and they say, we're going to give you our first fruits. And this is what he says in Nehemiah 10. It says in verse 35, they gave the first fruits of the ground and the fruit trees. That means the first fruit, not the apple that was sitting on the ground that has a, it's rotten, it's got, a little, it's got a little worm living in it. It gave the best apple, the first apple. It says in verse 36, they gave their sons, their firstborn sons over to God. They dedicated them to God. They gave their cattle, their herds, their flock. These weren't the, the, the cows missing a leg, you know, missing an eyeball. These were blameless. They had no spot or wrinkle on them. He gave the first of the dough, the offerings, the wine, the oil. In verse Verse 38, they gave their tithe. And in verse 39, he says, we won't neglect the house of God. See, what the Israelites understood back then was whatever is God's is the first and we will not give him leftovers. He's worth the first. He's worth the first. If anybody's worth the first, it's not your electric bill. That's hard, right? Because what happens if my electric goes out? We're going to talk about this. Again, number two, we give because we know it's important for every believer. Number three, we give because it reverses things around us for the better. We'll give you a little hope now because I can sense like, ooh, this is, this is a tough message. It's not a tough message. It's a hope message because I want you to understand this is going to unlock something in your life. I really believe this. One in three U.S. American Christians say that it's impossible for them to get ahead in life because of the debt that they've incurred. One in three Christians. People who tithe regularly, listen to this, typically have less debt than other demographics. Eight out of 10 have zero credit card debt and 28% of them are completely debt-free, including not having a mortgage payment. 77% of those who tithe give 11 to 20% more or more of their income, far more than the baseline of 10. Did you know 10 is just the starting point? And seven out of 10 tithers do so based on their gross, not their net income. Why? Because here's the deal. We were giving essentially to God after the government took what he, they wanted to take. See, God deserves first fruits. And I don't know about you, but I serve God, not the government. 
Don't put that in there. Chris, edit that out. I just want to make sure there's no, nothing going on here. I don't get caught for heresy. But the reality is, is here's the deal. I know this, that the government's not going to sustain us. It's God. He deserves the first fruits. So it's the gross. It's what I bring in above and beyond taxes, everything. God, you deserve the first, the best. And here's the deal. Most people that fight tithing will never tithe. But those that do will never stop tithing because they realize we're blessed because of it. So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell you today that tithing may have a cost on your life, but you can't afford not to. I'm going to give you another example. Story in the Bible in the Old Testament. Joshua, who went around the walls of Jericho, before he did, God gave him some rules he had to stick to. He said, listen, when the walls fall down, everything that you plunder needs to go into the storehouse of God. Don't take it. Don't put it in your own. Don't, don't try to steal it, all that stuff. And so what happens? There's a guy named Achan, interesting name. Joshua 6, 7, he be Achan. What does he do? He takes a few things for him. Not a big deal. Just going to take a few things. Nobody's going to even know. God knew. What happens is the next time the Israelites go into battle, it's a little town, not many people. In fact, they send just a few other people. And they go into, into this battle and they get annihilated. They come back and they say, Joshua, we don't know what's happening. All the people go, what is happening? Every battle that we fought, we've won. Now, this little town, we can't even take it. And God says, there's sin in the camp. Someone disobeyed. Joshua figures out. He calls all the people together and says, who's in here? Who did it? And Achan puts his hand up. He said, I'm the one. I, I took some things. I didn't think it was a big deal. You know what scripture says they did? Listen to this. They took him out, stoned him, and burned him. Now, can we thank God for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Some of you be afraid to go walk outside after this message, Jesus' name. God's not looking to stone you because you don't tithe. What God is saying to the Israelites was, test me, but don't take from me. See, this is God's. And I want to give you some encouragement, not judgment. Malachi 3. I want to read you this. Malachi 3. This is the last book in the Old Testament. Now, you know this, many of you know this, that this is kind of the final message from God before he goes radio silent until Jesus comes. So when I look at these last few books, these last few prophetic words, I think about them, I think this is what God wanted his people to know. And smack dab right there in Malachi, in chapter three, verse six, it says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. There's good news. He says, therefore, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will, well, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says this. He says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vines in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I want to break that down today. I want you to see the power of being obedient to the word. Malachi 3, verse 7. For the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from the statutes and have not kept them. Parents, it's our job 
to continue the process of teaching our children. We'll teach them how to balance their checkbook. We'll teach them don't put a credit card in something that you don't have funds in your account for, but we forget to teach them about tithing and giving. And it's our job. And God says, return to me. Because what's happened is, as we've been disobedient, as the Israelites have been disobedient, they've actually caused separation between them and God. See, it's not that God doesn't want to be with his people. It's that our disobedience and our sin actually causes a break of relationship between us and God. So we're blaming God. God, where are you? And God says, I'm here. I just need you to actually get in right standing. Come on. Get in right response. Again, it's the response to the gift. Malachi 3.8, will man rob God, yet you're robbing me. That's, that's harsh language, Pastor Mark. I didn't write it. We're robbing God when we don't give our tithe and contributions. Malachi 3.9, you are cursed with a curse. Doubt, fear, ignorance, selfishness leads us to holding back from God what is rightfully his. By doing so, listen, we rob him and we bring a curse on ourselves. I don't know what that curse is. It may be different from everyone, but here's the deal. When we rob God of what is his, we actually occur a curse on our own life. But there's hope. See, I wouldn't just leave you like that. There's hope. You can reverse the curse. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse, the church would build a storehouse so that whenever there was a need, they could go to the storehouse and get the needs that they needed to help people. So if somebody tithed the first fruits of their crop, they would put it in the storehouse. And if somebody was going hungry, they could pull from the storehouse. The church did this. It wasn't the Red Cross. It was the church. Do you know that all these organizations that help people across the world were started by Christians? So here we are, the storehouse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not, oh, I love this. Come on now. This is where people start getting excited and encouraged. See that I will not open up the heavens for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Oh man, I thought I'd get a couple more amens than that. Uh, listen, I live in a house with kids, and when they pour things, there's a fit, well, 70 to 70, 30 chance that that thing's getting spilled. And I've cleaned up many spills in my life, and I'm telling you, when they spill it, when that milk gets spilled on the floor, it goes into every nook and cranny, every crevice. It falls down the cabinet into the cabinet. You're cleaning things for days. You find some milk residue. How did that get over here? That's what God's saying. I'm going to pour out blessings from heaven. It's going to hit every, come on now. It's going to saturate you. You will no longer have a need. Oh, look at this. It's significant that God says, test me in this. Try me in this. He knew in 2022, we'd be fighting over the 10th. Let me remind you, you still have 90% left. We're fighting over 10%. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it without that 10% is going to push you over the edge. How about you give it back to God and watch that he will pour out blessings over your finances. Oh, man, I got something to say about this. We're going to be talking about this in the next three weeks. I have a God's guarantee. He stamped this with his guarantee. He said, I will fulfill it. Test me in this, that I will not open up the heavens and pour out a blessing, that there will not be enough room for you to contain it. That's some strong words that God, the creator of the universe, says. But there's more. Turn to somebody and say, there's more. Malachi 3.11 says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. 
so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. That means the things that you have, you will not lose. And then it says, and your vines in the field shall not fail to bear fruit. That means the things that you were promised will come to pass. God will take care of what you have and what you've been promised. Thank you, wife, for clapping. God will take care of what you have and what you have been promised. See, some of you have given up your promise because you said it's never going to come. But God says, there's an action step. See, how many people want to walk on water, but many of us don't want to get out of the boat. See, it all comes down to faithfulness and obedience to step out of your analytical mind. Oh, God bless you if you're analytical. Bless you if you're an accountant and you do the money crunching numbers because God wants to mess with your mind. It, you, did you understand that God's math don't line up like your math does? Some of you say, I can't afford to. Do you, do you know what happens, Pastor Mark? If I give the 10%, I can't afford to buy gas. Oh, maybe God will provide something for you. How many have been a blessed out of nowhere by God doing radical generosity in your life? Raise your hand in this church if you've seen God do something. See, you know what? That's what God does when you give back to him a 10 I had somebody leave the church one time. I said, well, tell me why you're leaving. They said, first of all, you talked on tithing. I disagree with everything you said. You're going to, you, you're going to, oh, 10%. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no way that this woman and this man could afford and take care of 10 kids in this economy if it wasn't for the blessings of God pouring down from heaven on us on a daily basis. I have come used, I've become used to now knowing that I can't do this on my own. Math, forget about it. I'm telling you, I will not pay a mortgage payment. I will not pay a light bill. I will not worry about food or gas until I pay God first. And we're going to talk about this over these next few weeks because I'm going to show you personally and we're going to show you in a few moments some people in this place that have radically been changed by tithing. Think about this for a moment. With that 10% that you could use, what, what could you do with 10% of your income? Think what God can do. Exceedingly greater than what you could think or ask. Whew. Let me give you some more encouragement. Number one, you tithe, he will open heaven's windows and pour out so much blessing, you won't have room for it all. Can you just say amen to that statement right there? Number two, put number two up there if you would. It says, he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Can we pause for a moment? You don't have to do it. Papa Chuck, Carol, you don't have to get on your knees and rebuke the devourer. He says, I will do this. And I don't know about you, but my words aren't nearly as powerful as his words. When he rebukes someone for your behalf, it's not going to be second guessing. That thing flees. So he says, when you give me what is rightfully mine, I will stand up and rebuke the devourer on your behalf. You don't have to stay up at night doing it. You don't have to go rebuking things. You can sleep with your head on a pillow in perfect peace, knowing that while you're sleeping, he's rebuking on your behalf. Listen, some of you have stayed up at night worrying about how you're going to pay a bill. Why don't you come to my side where you give it to the Lord, you put your little head on that little pillow, and you sleep soundly because you know as you're sleeping, he's rebuking. Oh, come on now. That's only number two. Put number three up there if you would. What is already yours, he can't devour. The enemy can't have what is already yours that God gave you. 
Number three, number four, is what you are waiting for, the enemy can't stop. Oh, it gets even better. I feel like I'm trying to sell you a car or something. George, am I doing a good job? Okay, thank you. Malachi 3.12. Look at this. Then, on top of all of this, he does this for you personally. Then he says, then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I don't care what you think about our country right now, but I can tell you with all certainty that the reason why this country is the greatest country is because the, the people of God giving. Our nation gives more to missions and people across the globe than any other nation. And it's because of what we've done that I believe has not allowed us to fall into the brink of disaster. You may think our tippy toes are on it, but I'm telling you right now, it's the church praying and giving that sustains. So even though you may not agree with the president or the governor or the senator or elected officials, guess what? You can give on their behalf. And as you give, our nation is blessed. Our city is blessed. Oh, come on now. Your home is blessed. Your street is blessed. When you give, the people around you receive the blessing off of your giving. That's how much it is. God says, when you give, I will bless your nation and other nations will rise up and call you blessed. See, the tithe may be the Lord's, but in his absolute ultimate goodness, he makes the blessing ours. Last thing, I'm gonna tell you what the, 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 the issue in every person's heart when it comes to giving and tithing is faith. The tithe, the first fruits of God's, they're holy and consecrated to him. If we give in faith that he will supply the rest, we're positioned for a blessing. But if we through covetedness and unbelief take what is his, we are holding on to accursed things and they don't bring the blessings we long for. So just a few things I want to leave with you before we share a testimony. Tithing isn't a magic genie method where you can give and it automatically changes things. Tithing is a lifestyle and it's a heart position. God says he loves a cheerful giver. If you're going to write a check after this message, I'm going to do it, Pastor. God's not interested in that. And guess what? Southview isn't either. We have existed before any of you were here and we will exist if you guys leave. Don't you leave, but I'm telling you. Why? Because God supplies for Southview. It's not you that makes Southview work. It's what you give to the storehouse of the church that actually blesses you. So I'm not sharing this message to drum up finances. I'm sharing this message so that you can be blessed. God can do immeasurably more with your 10% than you can do by holding on to it. And last thing, giving back to him the first is a sign of your level of faith. I, this is what I'm saying. I trust you more than I trust my budgeting and accounting. Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, not that I seek the gift, and I feel like Paul today, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I want you to be a radical giver. I want this church to give extraordinarily things away that, we, that doesn't even make any sense. How could that little church behind five other buildings and churches with a drop ceiling on a back alley road, right? All those things. How do they give away that much money? Because they understood that giving is a blessing. 
Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.